everybody out there, all the, all the people that actually have some money, they're thinking, this is my chance. This is, a, you know, uh, I, I'm going to jump on opportunity while there's blood flowing in the streets. And there's wisdom to that. Good Lord, people, we got to be careful. It's time for the Creative Real Estate Podcast, your source for out-of-the-box real estate investing strategies brought to you by Ecospace.com. Now, here's your hosts, Adam and Jason. Welcome back to the Creative Real Estate Podcast. I'm your co-host, Jason J. Lou Lewis, and today I'm intrigued. Listeners, we have someone who says that one of the real estate people that I look up to and business leaders very highly. Uh, he's a Nebraska guy. I'm a Kansas guy originally. Our, our host or our guest today says that some of the advice that people have been sharing of his is bad advice or, or it has some cracks in it. So I don't know what that is. I don't know what quote that might be, but I'm very intrigued to dive into that a little further. So uh, and then also what we're going to dive into a little bit more is just the overall psychology of real estate, mainly around raising capital. But I feel that the psychology of real estate can reach all aspects of real estate, not just fundraising. It's just when you're out trying to get a client, trying to get a new deal, trying to get a new listing, it all comes into the psychology of it. So I'm very excited about that. So we're going to introduce our guest today, which is Mr. Brian Ellis. Welcome. Jason, thank you for having me today. I appreciate it. Uh, I'm, n- normally, we, we start off with asking the question, uh, take us back to your first real estate deal. But before we do that, I am a little too antsy and I need <laughs> to hear your, your little inside thoughts of Mr. Warren Buffett, a quote that you said that a lot of people are sharing that you feel is is maybe incorrect given the current economic situation. So let's dive into that. Yeah. So here's the thing. As we record this right now, we're still kind of in the height of the coronavirus uh, situation. Some states have just in the last week started to open back up. Most are still shut tight as they ever were. There's still a bad situation out there. And I'm seeing a tremendous amount of capital raising happening right now. There there was an article in the LA Times just one week ago talking about how just in the past month, there have been almost a thousand new distressed real estate funds started, and they're targeting a total of $297 billion of capital. That's a lot. That's a lot for any time. That's a lot for when times are really, really great much less right now when times are really, really kind of scary. Why might they be doing that? Well, in in my business, I pay a whole lot of attention to messaging and how other people speak to their potential investors and what they do to persuade them to invest. And one thing I'm seeing over and over and over again that you got to be very careful of is the, the advice that we've all heard from Warren Buffett that goes something like this. Be fearful when others are greedy and greedy when others are fearful. Well, that, that, on the face of it, sounds quite plausible. And at the simplest level, he's absolutely true. Absolutely true. But I want to explain something to you. If you hear that advice not used by Buffett, well, look, I, I, don't, I don't claim to know something that Buffett doesn't. But what I do claim uh, with, with great confidence is that that quote 
is being used so broadly right now, and it's really only true, it's really only correct under one of those two scenarios. You see, whenever people are feeling greedy, that's a good time to be fearful. That's a good time to think, you know, there's probably not a lot out there for me. I'm going to have to look really, really hard, be very, very careful. And that's exactly what it should mean. But that's not where we are right now. We're, we're right now in a time where metaphorically the ocean is filled with blood rather than water. It's just a scary time right now. Fear, terror is the defining emotion of the day. And according to Buffett, that means that we ought to be greedy. Here's the problem. Be, just because there's a lot of fear out there right now does not mean that there's any higher frequency of good deals versus bad. You know, if you're if you're out on that ocean of blood, sailing in your ship, your ship is still going to sink, even if there's fear all around you, if there are holes in your ship. Doesn't matter. Fundamentals still rule the day. And what, what I see right now is people saying, you know, it's, it's, there, there's lots of fear out there. Buffett says, be be greedy. That means you you need to invest in opportunity X or Y or Z. Well, maybe that's true, but opportunity X or Y or Z still has to match all of the right fundamentals. And if they don't, then it doesn't matter how much fear there is out there. It doesn't matter how much greed there is out there. If the fundamentals of an opportunity don't add up and don't add up really, really clearly during times of fear, well, that's an opportunity you should avoid, even if it feels like Buffett's advice is telling you otherwise. Very interesting. So maybe dive into that. What maybe should people should be doing right now then? Is it more they should be fearful because others are fearful or is it, where is the value at? Our show is all about getting creative and adding value in real estate. So where do you feel today, uh, second quarter, 2020, there might be some creative avenues? Some asset classes do really well when times are bad and most do not. The secret is to find those that do. It's not a lot more complicated than that. We're doing, I've just started literally yesterday, uh, just started doing a raise for uh, an RV project, an RV park project. Why? That's one of those asset classes that does really, really well during bad times. And it tends to continue to do well during good times. And there's lots of historical evidence to support it. And I'm, I'm not talking about my raise in particular. I'm just trying to, trying to point out an asset class where that's true. Makes all kinds of sense. Right now, multifamily housing, that's, that's questionable. Not that multifamily housing is a bad thing. It's not. But if you're going to be investing in multifamily housing right now, I think any reasonable mind would agree that the standards you employ to evaluate that deal today should be much more stringent and much more demanding than they, than they would have been three months or six months ago, just because we just don't know what's going to happen. Doesn't mean multifamily, that the demand for multifamily is going to go down. It's not. It's probably going to go up. But we just don't know what's going to happen. So why take the gamble? I tell my clients, if your project for, for today, during these times of real terror, if your project, number one, doesn't, it's got to have absolutely just proven, proven, proven management, not people who are doing their first or second or third syndication. It needs to be, be somebody who has been through this entire process two or three times. Okay. If, if we're not talking asset about somebody, management and property management or just one or both, uh, certainly the, the overall, uh, the whatever term that you want to use, because those, those terms are subjective, depending on, on which project you're talking about, which people you're talking to. I'm talking about whoever is running the project, whoever is pulling the, the you know, pulling the levers, making the decisions about where the money's going to get spent and how it's going to get used. 
that person or people, they need to have some real experience behind them. Now, property management, that, that's, that's something that, you know, the more experience, the better, obviously, but the, you don't have to have a property manager necessarily with 30 years of experience. Not a bad thing. But uh, that, I'm talking about the gr- overall strategic guide, the strategic force behind the, the, the project. So that's number one. Number two, un- unless you are really using risk capital right now, your project really ought to be profitable right now un- under today's circumstances. If it's not prof- profitable right now as things exist today, I'm not saying it's a bad deal. I'm just giving some really, really good guidelines for if you find a project that matches these scenarios, you're probably in a pretty good shot in a pretty good place. So number one, really experienced management. Number two, a project that is right now without doing anything else to it right now, it's profitable. And number three, a really clear value-add path to making it more profitable in the future or increasing cash flow or whatever it is the particular aim of that project is. But all three of those things really need need to be in place if you want to be really, really careful. Those projects exist. They're, They're not every day. But that's when you become greedy. When you find that, you load up on that. That's when Buffett's advice about being greedy in times of fear, that's when it makes really good sense. It's sounding like you're saying that value add, a lot of people go buy value add real estate, which means it's currently not making money. It's distressed. And that's quote the value add. And you're saying today they need to double down on that and add that it needs to not only have value add, but it needs to be profitable today. The value add needs to have value, but still be profitable. And that's when you then be greedy versus be greedy on just opportunistic assets. If you want to be greedy, and to me, greedy means throwing as as much money at something as you can afford to throw at it. Leverage, fully leveraged. Well, leverage is a different issue, but yeah, as aggressive as, as you possibly can afford to be. To me, those are the standards strong experience management, current profitability, and clear path to substantial additional profitability. That's not to suggest, by the way, Jason, that projects that don't meet all three of those standards are inherently bad projects. I'm not saying that at all. What I am saying is that if you have a project that has that meets the three standards I just mentioned and one that only meets two of them, well, the one that has all three, that's clearly a better option. I like it. More of the psychology behind maybe finding those deals or raising the capital. If you find all three of those and you want to be greedy, you want to 10X down on that asset that you find, maybe there's two or three in that submarket or such, and you don't have that capital, but you you see the blood and you see the opportunity. Uh, talk us through some of the psychology of how people should be raising that capital. What should they be saying to their investors that might be fearful right now? That's a great question. So I'll, I'll use the uh, example of the RV park that I'm raising for right now. Um, and by the way, I'm not, I'm not saying this for, but, but for any reason other than just as an example, because I suspect by the time the public hears this, I will have been done with, with, uh, with this raise already. So uh, to be clear, I'm using this just as a, as a case study. In that scenario, if, 
just about anybody else was raising money for that. Probably what they would do is try to gen- generate some leads. They would probably build a webinar, and that webinar would have things like, you know, a, a, a lots of information about the background of the people behind it and, and probably several spreadsheets. And, you know, th- this is, uh, you know, the, these are the places that we're going to spend all the money and for, for CapEx, and this is where we expect things to end up and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And all that's really important information. It really is. Uh, it, it has to be shared, but it is generally shared at the wrong point in the process. The way that we do it differently is that we work with the way that the brain actually works. And, and on the front end, the more, you, more hard data you give to people, the more reasons you give them to say no. Even if the information you give them is correct, and reflects favorably on your project, the more hard data you give them, the more things that they have to think about. Like, you know, you give them a, an ROI number, for example. What, what's your IRR going to be? Well, they might think, that's good. Maybe they'll think, that's bad. Maybe they'll think, that seems realistic. Maybe they think, that seems unrealistic. Whatever. They might think a million other things. But for every piece of data you give them, there are a million things they could think about that. Only one of which is... That's good enough that I want to go and invest. That's, I don't like those odds. So what I like to do instead is speak to them where they are, reduce things down to simple stories, anecdotes, uh, references from third parties that, that tell the story uh, in, in another voice. For example, well, most people don't know anything about RV parks, and, and so that, that's – that's something that I have to overcome, but a lot of people do know about multifamily properties. So here's, here's how I explain it to them. And it takes 30, 45 seconds, but it makes it so clear. I say, look, here's what an RV park is. It's a big piece of land that's divided up into sections. These sections are roughly the size of four parking lots. I'm sorry, four, four parking spaces each, a little bit bigger than that. Each one of them has nothing more than a piece of concrete and a hookup for electricity and water. That's really about it. For each one of those sp- spaces, we collect 30 to $80 a night. Now hold that in your mind for a minute, because if you happen to own a piece of uh, rental property that you're renting out for $1,000 a month, what, do you, what, what does that mean? That means you're getting $33 a day, right? $33 a day. That's what $1,000 a month is. That's on the low end of what we get for RV parks. But what do you have to give them for $33 a day? You've got to give them a house, or an apartment building that requires a lot of land. You've got to give them two or three bedrooms. You've got to give them a kitchen. You've got to give them a living room. You've got to give them an electrical system. You've got to give them a roof. You've got to give them the, the maintenance to support all of that stuff. You get $33 a day for that. I get that probably a little bit more for giving them a piece of concrete. Well, does that share all of the details that are relevant? No. Is it all correct? Yes, it's entirely correct. Does it reduce it down to a really simple thing that they can get their minds on and say, here are two things, this one's better. So the whole idea of good capital raising is reducing down everything to a series of, here are two choices, mine is clearly better. If you can do that, you win. Sounds simple enough. And uh, <laughs> it sounds sounds like a great idea. And, and how do they choose which they compare it to? You, you said multifamily. Is it just one option they kind of choose and yeah. in between? I mean, that's the beauty. 
That's why I love using webinars as a way to communicate this information. Because it's not them who chooses, it's me. I get to decide what, what, they, what they compare to. Now, I am going to do some research to find out kind of what my competition is. Like, you know, do, is multifamily the, the other thing they're considering or one of the things? Maybe it's ATM machines. Maybe it's, you know, a million other things. But I'm going to figure out kind of what, what the standard is and tell a, tell a story that will encompass as much of that as possible. Because even, even with the story I just told you, if, if you are – if your thing is not multifamily but it's single family or maybe even it's a – storage facilities or it's any anything else that, that that's kind of based on recurring cash flow well you can plug your thing into that and see how it compares it's pretty easy so i decide what they are going to compare to and that's that's how i tell the story every word is scripted before i ever say it like there there are no there, there's no room for on-the-spot decision-making about what I say during a webinar. We write every word before I say even one of them. Interesting. How, how long do you feel that the average webinar or pitch should be? There, there, there's no answer to that. I mean, if it's, if it's interesting and it's relevant, it could be hours long. Uh, most of the ones that I do are, you know, 40 to 70 minutes in the wide range. Um, I want, it needs to be long enough in my opinion uh, to make sure that you fully get the person to whatever the next step is. And most people don't really know what their process is, but like for us, we, we have a very clear process. The next step after the webinar is what we call a disqualification call. And I want it to be the case that a person goes all the way through my webinar they know enough about this project to know, number one, are they pretty interested? Number two, are they absolutely not interested? And number three, are they qualified? Because if they're not really interested and well qualified, I don't want them to ever call me. I don't want to talk to them. And so we know that that's kind of the goal is to filter everybody else out and to get people to that next step. And so how long should it be? Long enough to get that done. That's, that's, that's the standard. Do you feel that Anything the next couple months, this next couple quarters might change with the psychology of fundraising that people need to be uh, tracking or looking into that maybe if they're doing it now that in the future, they might need to pivot a little bit. Do you see anything changing in the next few months that people should be looking for? You mean in terms of how they do fundraising? Yeah, just how they how what what the, how they talk, what they do when they're talking with people um, that might come up. And depending on where this economic situation with the the COVID situation, is there anything specific out there, the psychology that, that's kind of yeah. uncertain that that they should be looking at uncertainty today and then say, okay, this might evolve depending on which way COVID goes, depending on if we have another second round of fallouts or this or that. Is there anything that they could be keeping an eye out for and getting a, maybe a head start on it? Yeah, so how do I say this best? In, in, in the last few years, it's become very popular for people to do real estate syndications. Um, and they're very, very popular. Yeah, and, and there have been a lot of people doing real estate syndications who, who have, uh, they might have a decent amount of experience in real estate, but they've really never, uh, never done syndications before the last couple of years. Well, as anybody who's done even one of them will tell you, Doing a syndication is a different beast entirely 
than, than doing, than investing on your own account. And so in the next several months, I think what's going to happen is my, my, my gut feeling, and I will readily admit that I'm at least as likely to be wrong about uh, my predictions here uh, as right, but it doesn't matter because human nature never changes, no matter what, human nature never changes. My expectation is that that what's going on in the real world versus what we hear about what's going on are going to be two radically different things. Um. The news is going to continue, by and large, to be very, very negative. There will be slivers of, of, of positive news that come out, but by and large, if you turn on the TV or read the newspaper, it's going to continue to sound very negative for the next several months. But probably what you're going to see is when you go outside, there's more people getting out doing things and not a lot of people dropping like flies. We're probably going to see over the next several months that the data about how many people actually died from COVID-19 is inflated because there probably were a whole lot of people who who probably would have died anyway. I'm not I'm not suggesting there's a conspiracy or anything like that. I'm trying to frame the response here. So what you've got to understand is that that's the world that the people are living in that you're talking to who might be interested in putting capital into your deal. So here's the part that I can tell you with utmost certainty works today, will work in six months, and will work in 6,000 years. And that is... If your deal is such that you can look your potential investor in the eye and have a still spine and have an unqu- uh, your, uh, your voice doesn't quiver, you don't shake, and you can look them in the eye and say, I'm the one, follow me, you've got a pretty big advantage. Because here's the thing that everybody wants that never changes. And most people don't even know they want this. They don't even know they're actively seeking for it, but they are. That one thing is leadership. People want somebody to follow. They want somebody who will stand up and say, I'm the man or I'm the woman. Follow me. Now, you got to back it up. But if you can do that, people will follow you. That's where capital goes. I'm in. I Sign me up. Where, where's my checkbook? So I definitely even can sense that from how you saying that. So it even gets me excited for listeners at, at uh, how they can just take that that confidence, that leadership, and, and also just making sure that they can back that up. Cause right now it, it might not be where they are in that position uh, to be a leader and that might be okay. I think it would be probably better to recognize that you might not be that leader who has that, you know, that solid spine that no matter what happens, you're going to be able to stand, stand up straight and confident. And I think it would be better for them to recognize that, Hey, I, just don't quite have that yet. And it'd be better for me just to learn and listen and more and engage and follow and be ready maybe for the next one than to dive in now and get themselves in a pickle that they'll maybe never able to get out of. And then their investors will never look at them the same and uh, it'll be very difficult for them in the future. So absolutely. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, even, even people who don't necessarily have a massive amount of, of experience, what they can always do is find people who do and have them get involved in the deal or have them give publicly available, really detailed scrutinies of their projects and that, that sort of thing. There's, there's all kinds of ways to deal with this, but these days you've got to be a leader that is displaying confidence and it's got to be based on a deal that really makes sense that like objectively your grandmother would decide to say, yeah, sign me up. I like it. That's, that's great advice. I love it. Let's take a quick break and then we'll come back and Brian, we're going to jump into our final five and excited to hear what you have to say on those. 
Hey, it's Adam Adams, and I am thrilled and excited to announce the launch of my brand new, brand new YouTube channel. So I don't know if you like YouTube or not, if you watch YouTube or not, but if you do, head over and please subscribe to the Apartment Investing Show. This YouTube channel is 100% about apartments only. If you're looking to fix and flip, not the right show for you. If you're looking to invest in hotels, not the right show for you. This is the apartment investing show, and I mean the apartment investing show, and I'm thrilled and excited about it. If you can, do me a giant favor, run over there right now, if you're a YouTube watcher, and find the apartment investing show, please give me a rating and a review, like give us a thumbs up and subscribe, click that bell. We're going to be pushing out some amazing content on the YouTube channel. So if you are looking to scale and grow and get into apartments, whether it's syndication or just owning these on your own, the Apartment Investing Show is the right show for you. Go look for the Apartment Investing Show on YouTube right now, and I'll see you there. We are back with Mr. Brian Ellis, the one. Awesome advice. Awesome advice. Let's Thanks, let's dive right into the question of what's your most creative real estate deal? Jeez, man. Uh, this one might not be creative to other people, but it's kind of it's kind of above my level, and so it stretched my brain a little bit. The partner that I'm working with on on a current project, he recently did a massive student housing project uh, down in Miami. It was it was last year. They didn't put any money into it at all. They got a, they funded the entire thing through a two hundred thirty billion excuse me million two hundred thirty million dollar public bond, uh, and I've never done anything like that. Like it, like to me, that's that's like next level, otherworldly. It's the coolest thing I'd, I'd I'd heard about. So I hope to do that someday. Haven't done it yet, but that's 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 the coolest one I've heard about. OPM, other people's money, right there. On, so, on a big level. <laughs> uh, where do you see the real estate market in five years and where do you see yourself at that time? I suspect that the real estate market will be better off in five years than it is now, but it'll probably be a bumpy ride. Um, I, I suspect that, uh, that, that cash flowing projects will have more value than, than just value add. Cash flow will be more valuable than equity. Let's, let's just put it like that. And uh, where I see myself, I expect I'm going to be doing exactly the same thing I'm doing right now because it's working out beautifully and I love it. What's a book? What's your favorite book or one you advise uh, others to take a look at? Best book I've read recently is Win Bigly from Scott Adams. Great, great book about persuasion. You might hate it if you're kind of a political person and you hate Donald Trump. It's not a book about Donald Trump. It's about how Trump is a, an expert persuader. So even if you don't like him, you probably ought to swallow that and read the book because it's the best practical book on persuasion I've ever read. And psychology behind that, it sounds like. I mean, so. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's, and it, it's, it's psychology at a very practical level. Great. Uh, what's a way that you like to add value to the real estate community and, and give back? You know, the biggest way that I add value and give back is that I make sure that I don't promote deals that, that I wouldn't get into myself. Uh, but by the time that you, anybody hears about a deal from me that I'm promoting or that I've been involved in, in promoting, you, you can know there's, there's been a lot of research and verification and due diligence in that thing. And so if, if my name's attached to it, it's going to work out. 
What's the one way? I know everyone has a lot of social media accounts and, and different uh, ways to connect nowadays with all the communication, but what's the one way uh, that we can put in the show notes, people can scroll down, click and get in touch with you if they want to reach out and dive into this a little further. Yeah, probably if you want to learn a little bit about the psychology of capital raising, exactly how we do it. One day raise.com is the best place to do that. One day raise.com, the number one, one day raise.com. Great. And listeners will have that in show notes. Just scroll down, click and dive in a little more. Well, I, I love this. I wasn't for sure where this was going to go, given that you had made a comment, how uh, kind of an idol of mine, how I was given bad advice, but I'll have to say that I agree with it. And I think it's very sound uh, wisdom and your just idea of if you're doing a deal in raising capital this year during this cycle, uh, it has to be just so strong. It has to be economically sound today with value add down the road. So you can stand in front of that uh, or now with webinars, you know, in front of the camera and and tell those uh, possible investors that I got this. This is the one. I'm the one. Let's go. Exactly. Follow me. I like it. Well, Brian, it's been an absolute pleasure. I'm excited to uh, follow along the journey and listen a little more in the future from you on the psychology because I think it's it's so much to learn from that that aspect. So, It's been a pleasure being with you, Jason. Thanks for the invitation. Excellent. Thanks, Brian. And uh, listeners, until next time, think outside the box. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of the Creative Real Estate Podcast. Jason Lewis and myself, Adam Adams, are grateful to have you as a loyal listener. And I do have one quick favor to ask is if you are looking for apartment investing, then go to apartmentinvestingshow.com. That is the brand new YouTube channel that I just launched. Brand new YouTube channel. Uh, Again, this is only for apartment investing. That's all we talk about there. It is the Apartment Investing Show, and you can find it by going to apartmentinvestingshow.com.